Casey. And I'm Emily. And you're listening to A Sprinkle of Sugar, A Dash of Murder, a true crime podcast with an element of baking. And what did you bake this week? So, this week, I uh, failed a <laughs> recipe. <That's, laughs> um, so, I was trying, well, I was already kind of cheating because I was cooking out of a uh, out of the box. Um, you know, no yeah, kidding. No, uh, the like the brownie mix box, and it was peanut butter, um, brownie cookies. So like you'll see, I think Emily, I'll have Emily take a picture of the uh, the front of the box. It shows what <laughs> it's supposed to look like, <laughs> and then um, what I made. I mean, what I made looks fine, and I'm sure it will yeah. taste fine too. But instead of making it separately and doing it the way I'm supposed to. I just mixed all the ingredients together and yeah, so that's what we got. And also, I apologize in advance if you just like during the murder or during the not the murder. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> during the story, you hear me in the background going <sighs> I am getting I'm I'm short of breath. Not COVID, just pregnancy. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway you're excused yes thank you thank you for excusing me um, yeah so anyway you'll see my fail because professionals like me fail too <laughs> just kidding <laughs> I'm not everybody makes mistakes <laughs> I am not a professional in any way <sighs> alright alright Emily so um oh the reason why I did this uh, was did I mention that they were peanut butter brownies yeah okay Peanut butter. Oh, I don't know if you did, but... Yeah, there's <laughs> peanut butter in there anyway. Okay. So, uh, I don't know. Emily said that there was... The only food-related things that she really had was peanut butter and bologna, right? Yeah. And she'll get into that later, but I decided, you know, I'm just going to use use the peanut butter and, and don't compare it to the murder at all. Just, just enjoy right. the, the cookies. It's... When I get to that part yeah am i gonna get disturbed maybe (laughs) um but just separate it that's why we're not doing exactly what's in here (laughs) casey did her own thing but okay (laughs) all right so let's hear it okay so this happens in paris california i feel like we've been doing a lot of california lately but that's i just look at the case and then it seems interesting, and then I really see where it is, so yeah. it's not on purpose, but anyway. I, you know, you could have told me it was in Paris, California, because then I could have, like, made something that was, like, popular in Paris, like a, a food. Yeah. Like <laughs> I suppose I could. <laughs> oh, it doesn't matter. Well, this like... family moves around a lot, oh, so, okay. like, there were a lot of locations. I see it. So, but. Okay, please continue. Okay. So, it happens in January 2018, a 17-year-old girl jumps out of a window to escape a house that she was being held prisoner in for years, and she calls the police and tells them to help her and her 12 siblings, who are still trapped in the same home she just escaped from. And this is the Turpin family. So, this girl's parents... David and Louise Turpin had been holding their 13 children captive in an abusive home for decades. Oh my gosh. So, now I'm going to like, you know, set the scene and then go back to how this all started. Did you say the year yet? Um, well, the girl escaped in 2018. Mm-hmm. January 2018. I know this story. Yeah, this yeah. is crazy. It's pretty, um, there, the trials and stuff for it was 2019, and then I also have, like, a 2020 mm-hmm. update, too. So, it's still pretty recent in the news and mm-hmm. stuff as well, yeah. So, the mother, Louise Turpin, um, she's from a very disturbing background herself. Um, her sister, Teresa told the press that their mother, Phyllis, would rent them out as little girls to their very wealthy grandfather, who was a pedophile. That is horrible. That's disgusting. And, like, 
to do that to anybody um is terrible but like your grandfather like which would be like the mother's father how does he would even... allow that yeah i know like uh, do, and do you think like that that mother when she was a kid was abused as well by him possibly i mean maybe she just saw it saw it as normal because maybe it happened to her too as a kid i'm not sure because i just if you would do that to your granddaughter i i don't think your moral code would really prevent you yeah yeah well yeah that's bound to mess you up a little bit oh for sure and Teresa also said their mother would tell them um, this is how she could clothe and feed them. So she, her, the grandfather was like paying every day for. So that's basically an income. She sees it as it. Their mother saw it as an income, um, which is, is a terrible so way wrong. to live. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no matter how desperate you are for money, there's still like morals. Yeah. And their father was a preacher. Her father's name is Wayne. He was a preacher. I clearly not a good one if he's allowing this in his home. Well, do you think he knew about it? Um, he said he was oblivious to a lot of things. Um, I just don't see how you could be that oblivious. Well, I don't know. People live with serial killers and don't know those things, but like, mm-hmm. I just I don't know. He was also um a preacher of a Pentecostal church. Which, if you remember, is the same religion Jim Jones preached. Oh. Um, Pentecostal, yeah. Which oh. is like the faith healing and everything. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So they would also say that, like, it was... They said they were, like, a very religious home. Do you see this? Yeah, oh my God. Alien. <laughs> <laughs> cute, oh, my God. Cute, sweet little alien. You're like... Alien. <laughs> it's like an. Oh, sorry. It's I deal with it every day, but it's just so freaky. Like I literally feel like I'm gonna, about to see a foot stick out. <laughs> it's like in Bolt when they go oh, aliens. Yep. Okay. <laughs> sorry, sorry, we got we got distracted. <laughs> Didn't mean to interrupt. This is what's gonna happen when we're like doing the podcast when I have like an infant with me. Yeah. <laughs> okay go on okay so Teresa who is Louise's sister again um she said she really they used to be really close with the family um but over time she spoke to them less and less and they would go over video chat but um the video chat stopped happening and the family moved far away first to texas and then around different places in california so they just became really hard to contact and they have louise has another sister whose name is elizabeth and elizabeth said louise was obsessed with witchcraft and snakes and got which those things by themselves like okay whatever mm-hmm. but um you know just and then she got really into gambling and alcoholism. So she became an alcoholic as they got older. And their parents fought regularly in their home. So it's just like a very crazy time. Not very happy for them. Despite these concerns about Louise, though, Elizabeth and Teresa both said they had no idea that their sister could, even with these circumstances, turn out to be a child abuser. And they were very, very shocked when they found out. Huh. So, and again, we're going to see that there are, like, a lot of red flags, like, stopping the children from seeing the family members, um, stopping the video chats and stuff. I feel like that would be a little bit of a red flag to me, but they're both like, oh, no, we just thought it was a little strange, but I guess you wouldn't want to assume, like, my sister's abusing somebody, but I don't know. I feel like that might be in the back of my mind. If I were that. Right. It's, it's hard to say because I would just think that that was almost like over controlling. I, would, I wouldn't necessarily be like, oh, that's straight, that's abuse. Like, right. You know, yeah. I just think that she was just like almost too protective of her kids. Yeah. I don't know. So David Turpin, who is Louise's husband, has a very different background. 
he was um, very promising in childhood in comparison. Um, He went to Virginia Tech University for computer engineering, and he had a really good and steady job for both Lockheed Martin and General Dynamics, which are both like huge important companies for computer engineering Mm -hmm. so it was a really good job and he had a nice position uh in high school he was an officer in bible club science club acapella chess club and honor society in both high school and college so we it's like really odd how these two kind of came together not that people from different backgrounds don't get together but um yeah, I don't know. Hmm. But it's interesting. If was would David always turn out this way or how much of an influence did Louise have? That's true. I guess we'll never know. Yeah. Yeah, and like who was the one that really started it all and Yeah. It's interesting to think about. Well, David and Louise met because they went to the same high school, which was in Princeton, West Virginia, but he was 8 years older than her. So, they wouldn't have really gone to high school together, but they just, it's a small town, so they just knew each other. Mm -hmm. And in 1984, when he was 24 and she was 16, uh, he convinced the high school to let him sign Louise out, um, because he was like, I'm an adult, and like, I don't know what his excuse was, pretending to be related to her or something, but he signed her out, and they went to Texas and eloped. (gasps) What? At 16 years old. No way. That's great. Yeah. So Phyllis, Louise's mother, and her husband Wayne complained to the police that these two had just run away, and so they were forced to come back to West Virginia, and... Uh, Louise thought her father as a preacher was going to be really angry about this marriage, but it turns out all he wanted was for them to have a proper ceremony. Oh. So he was okay with it. Okay. And so they were married properly, quote unquote, um, within the Pentecostal church, I think. Mm -hmm. I think that's what he wanted um, when they returned back to West Virginia. So at this point... um, Louise's mother, Phyllis, admits that she was aware of David's relationship with her. Um, And despite the fact that he was eight years older, she's only 16, she thought he would be good for her since he came from a good home and a Christian home. So she allowed it because she thought it would just... They're kind of a poor family. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think she just saw it as like, I've got one daughter out of here, you know. So she was okay with it. I see that. Yeah. Yeah. It's so bizarre to me that, like, she seems like a caring mother, but then was... Right. Allowing her to be abused. Yeah. I think it's very... It's very strange. And I don't know how... If I were those girls, I wouldn't know how to feel about that either. They also have a brother. Okay. um, But he never said anything about being abused probably because he was male and Mm -hmm. you know but yeah not yeah it's it's an odd situation um so the david and louise went back to texas after they got married to start a new life together and they decided they didn't really want to have any ties to louise's family anymore so they cut off like communication with both of her parents and they asked if they could come and see her, and she said no. She would not let them visit her, didn't want to speak to them anymore. I don't really blame her. Uh, on their deathbeds, they both asked to see her and asked if she would come visit them. She refused, and she did not go to their funerals either. Wow. But David did. David went to their funerals, huh. but she did not. Interesting. I find that interesting, too, because... I can see it. Like, he had some sort of relationship, I guess. Um, He's coming on behalf of their family. But also, if your wife was that adamant about not wanting to go and see them again, even at their funeral, I don't know if, as a husband, would you go? Hmm. I don't know. Interesting. The whole family dynamic is very weird. I I don't know even how to feel about it, because it's like, I don't know, I mean... (laughs) 
they she clearly like the mother clearly wasn't good to her she allowed her to be abused so yeah like, i can see that but then why would the the husband uh wait no uh what's the husband's name it's louise and um louise is married to david her yes, father's name david. is wayne yeah yeah so why would david then go knowing that like his wife yeah yeah it's I weird. mean, like, it's a small town. I know, like, I can see that he would want to go, if even if he wasn't, like, close. But also, if your wife is purposely not going. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. So, uh, yeah. It would, it would, no, my point of that was, like, I don't know why uh, he would want to go. What the heck am I saying? <laughs> oh. Oh, I don't know whose side to be on, because it sucks that you wouldn't go yeah. to your own parents' funeral, but also, if they traumatize you that bad, you know, I understand. it's probably better not to. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Again, it's like one of those, you don't know what you do unless you were in that right. situation. So, at some point, like I said, they bounced around homes a lot. Um, they moved out to Paris, California at some point. They were in multiple homes in different towns in California. They started having money troubles. So it was a lot of foreclosure um, problems. No, you know, obviously we all know what that means. You're not making payments and whatever. Um, and people who moved into their homes after the foreclosure said the home was always like disgusting disgustingly filthy there was filth everywhere and um it just looked really strange there were like scratch marks on the doors and stuff and they just people who moved in after them said i thought they had like wild animals running around like that's what it looked like jeez people but even like people that aren't incredibly abusive and like i don't know you know that aren't doing this kind of stuff in homes Leave homes so trashy sometimes. Yeah. Like, especially if they've been foreclosed. People are yeah, just so careless and, like, whatever. We're not getting in trouble this, for this, whatever. Yeah. Or even, like, I lived in an apartment and there were massive scratches on the doors. So weird. But it's, like, I think it was just from their dog. Mm-hmm. You know? Still, I mean, that was another... I feel like that was... I mean, if the scratches were that deep... I think the dog was locked away in a room yeah. for a long time. Yeah. So I feel like that's a whole other sort of abuse situation. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's that's beyond the point. Go on. Um, so in 2011, David and Louise filed for bankruptcy with $240,000 in credit card debt from poorly managed finances and assumingly like a detachment from the world because they were slowly becoming more and more isolated Mm -hmm. as a family um and just not paying attention to outside world and outside responsibilities like bills Mm -hmm. at all um the bankruptcy documents list that david's income was a hundred and forty thousand dollars a year so that's a good salary that's a decent salary that i mean 13 kids is a lot of money but to care for but still it's a nice salary so clearly they were not purposely maybe but they were letting themselves go if they're not right if they're having this much trouble right um david is also listed as principal of sandcastle day school which he operated and ran out of his own home for his 13 children so registering your home as like a homeschooling school prevents uh anyone coming from the house for like truancy and stuff so that they're accounted for in school um which was just an excuse they used we find out later to keep their kids like from leaving the home so that oh my gosh they're claiming they're homeschooling them but really they're not getting an education at all oh wow louise on the documents is listed as a homemaker and that she provides educational services to the children which is also a front, we find out. David and Louise, people who visited them before they were super isolated, always said that they raised their kids with, like, military precision and very tight schedules, made them wear, like, uniforms or, like, uniform clothing, at least. Mm -hmm. 
They needed permission to leave their rooms, permission to sit down for dinner, permission to eat, or when to use the bathroom, all these things. Wow. So they were very, very strict. They were not allowed to speak to anybody without permission, even. And so this is, like, really extreme. Like, some people run their homes like that, but, like, this is, like, extreme. I know. I mean, thinking about that, it's, like, it's frustrating because that's abusive in its own. I mean, yeah. it's, but it's not actually, ta- like, it's not something that you can, you know, actually get in trouble for. Cause right. What are you going to do? Because the kids are healthy and, like, this is just your parenting technique. But yeah, I feel like that's really damaging to anybody that would have to go through that. Yeah. I mean, this is, like, this is not the Von Trapp children sound of music. Right. This is, like on another level (laughs) yeah yeah it's like step up from that yeah so for a time before the bankruptcy and everything elizabeth louise's sister lived with them she lived with them for one summer and elizabeth said they would even keep this like strictness with her and she's like an adult woman they said david and louise said elizabeth was not allowed to speak to her friends not allowed to tell anybody where she lived. She couldn't use their phone. This was before cell phones, so, like, there was only the landline, so she wasn't allowed to call people. She wasn't allowed to have friends over to their home. And one time, Elizabeth said she was taking a shower, and they made her get out of the shower and just, like, stand in the bathroom. And I don't know. I guess they were, like, examining her to make sure she wasn't sneaking things in or whatever. Which is super, again, that would be a major red flag for me. Right. I, but okay. That is, that is incredibly bizarre. Yeah. Why would she even stay the summer? The second that they, I mean, she might have been like in a financial situation where she couldn't leave right. or something, but I don't know. There's Get that no heck out of there. That's so weird. Yeah. And the, the thing that pushed them over the edge is, Louise and David found out she was talking to friends at her job and they kicked her out. They were like, you're, I, th- I think they were super, super paranoid about her telling people of how they ran their household. Mm-hmm. And I mean, why else would you be so strict about right. don't speak? But I mean, did they really expect her to go to work and not talk to anybody there? And they kicked her out after that. And Elizabeth was like, well, kind of good riddance. So yeah that yeah super weird but they used to be super close and everyone thought they had this really beautiful life and beautiful family because they would go on a lot of vacations in the past you know before they were super isolated they would post pictures of them going to disney going to vegas there's um a picture of them renewing their vows with all their children around them in vegas and they would fly family out to see them and visit them, um, like their brothers and sisters, until 1998. And that was when they started slowly, really retreating back into themselves and not letting anybody come. And what Teresa was talking about earlier that I said, like, stopped doing the Skype calls Mm -hmm. and just no outside contact at all, which is super weird. And... I don't know. Just as a family member, like Teresa and Elizabeth and um, their brother, also they all said they were concerned and they were like a little worried, but they thought that's just like what they wanted. And Louise would say, well, we have 13 kids. I'm too busy to make a phone call. I'm too busy to do a Skype call. So they just kind of all brushed it off and kind of didn't see too much into it. Right. And I can see that too, you know, like... Unless you're adamantly trying and, like, you're at their door knocking on their door trying to, like, see in, how else are you supposed to, to like, kind of know that something's going on? Yeah. Because you wouldn't think that your own family would be doing this to someone else, especially knowing the kids and, like, knowing, you know, your sister or your brother. Yeah, right. I mean, I don't think I would ever jump to that conclusion by myself. Or I, I wouldn't want to. Right, it's just you know, so... you kind of you as a family member, I imagine you would come up with a lot of excuses mm-hmm. to block it out of your brain. Right. 
Yeah. It's just so horrific that, yeah, you wouldn't even, you wouldn't even, like, jump to that. Yeah. So, Teresa one time expressed concern about the kids being homeschooled. Um, She worried that they weren't getting enough social interaction because on the few times she was allowed to talk to them on the phone, she noticed that their, like, conversation skills and their manner of speaking was, like, not completely articulate and not completely sociable so she she told louise well maybe you should send them to school and louise told them she had to educate them at home because they were being bullied in schools when clearly it's it's the opposite they're being bullied at home unfortunately but that was like one thing another lie they told to keep up how they got away with it for so long One neighbor also said that sometimes he would see the children marching back and forth in a single file line for hours, like in front of one of the bedroom windows. Like that was the only thing they could do to kind of like entertain themselves or maybe they had to do it. But that's a really, imagine if you're that neighbor and you're just like watching and like for hours these children are just like back and forth and back and forth. That I know, but then you think about it and that still is not something I'd call services on you know it's just i would just be like right those kids are weird yeah (laughs) that and i would think it's super strange i'd be like okay but again that's not it's not evidence Mm -hmm. what would you call the police for uh, kids are marching up there right yeah exactly finally this goes on for years and years and years, and nobody really knows anything. Neighbors reported later that they would see maybe one or two kids outside at a time, and they would always look like super, super pale, like they obviously hadn't seen the sun for a very long time. And that was basically it. Nobody really saw the kids, mm-hmm. especially not together. So it wasn't until what I said in the beginning, the 17-year-old daughter jumped out a window um, managed to call 911, and that is when the cops. She, in the 911 call, she tells the cops that some of her siblings were chained up, um, that they were starving, and a lot of them were sick. So she said, well, I just needed to get help. And she had been planning this escape for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and she managed it, but that would, I don't know how high the window was that she jumped out of, but that would take guts if it's high you know right but well, you gotta do what you gotta do you don't know matter what it takes guts like when you grow up being abused like this like kids people get away with it all the time even with yeah. kids going to school because they just they don't tell people all the time you yeah know? they don't realize that uh, they're either that this is wrong or that there are other people that will help protect them mm-hmm. they don't see any way out this is all they know yeah so for her to be able to step out and do that is just so brave. Yeah. So when police got there, they saw that children were indeed chained up, literally, um, to their beds. Many of them, well, all of them were starved. Very, very thin. Like, you could see bones and, like, through their skin. Very, mm-hmm. like paper thin skin and clearly they were not a lot of them were sick like she said um they were clearly being tortured inside their home they at first the um some of the children said they used ropes to restrain the children at first but after one of them had escaped before and then but they were caught so after that child was caught they decided to use chains and padlocks to lock up the children like to their beds and see that's even worse because for like it's even more surprising that the 17 year old was able to do get away and do something because she sees this happening and she knows that things will just get worse Mm -hmm. if they get caught exactly yeah um there was filth everywhere um police said there was like feces and pee all over the floor like all over the house Mm -hmm. because they just the kids weren't taken to the bathroom they weren't allowed bathroom time so they just had to go wherever they were and cops reported like the smell of just like rot and that it was just like a god-awful smell in the house 
Uh, so sad. Yeah. And again, like their previous homes, there were like deep scratches on the doors and the walls and they did not have animals. So clearly that's like the children clawing at doors and walls. Mm-hmm. It would just be like a completely horrific sight, I imagine. I Not something I'd want to see at all. No, it'd be so sad yeah. to even just walk through and find that. I mean, how do you not... You walk in and, like, see the first kid and, you know, just... I would just run right at them. Try yeah. And, like, get them out of there as soon as possible. And there are 13 children in this home. That's so many kids. And seven of them were actually adults. But still, you know they've been raised in this home so the oldest was 29 years old at the time she's Mm -hmm. the eldest and when they found her at 29 years old she weighed 82 pounds and when she was examined she has severe nerve and muscle damage and decay so because they weren't allowed to do anything like your muscles would just fall apart basically yeah, that'd be a long recovery, and I don't even think she'd ever be 100% after that. Yeah. So the children were allowed, basically the only thing they were allowed to do is keep journals. Um, so the children's writings were found, and they were used as like powerful evidence later on in the trial. I find that interesting. They're so concerned and paranoid. They must be really confident their children are not going to get outside if they're allowing them to write things down of what's right. happening. That is... I I don't understand the logic as to why they'd allow them to to write things. Yeah. Because that's paper evidence of what you're doing. Yep. But... Well, good. I'm glad that they were able to do that. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. The youngest child in the home is two years old. And the two-year-old was the only child of the 13 that was healthy. So they they were... treating the two-year-old fine and feeding him regularly and everything him or her i'm not sure which is interesting mm-hmm. i wonder what what is it about that child or maybe it was just the age and they just drew the line at toddlers and like when he was old when he or she was old enough yeah it would start who knows or do you think like maybe with with a young infant uh like a toddler and babies you have to you have to take them to doctor's appointments regularly like you'll be called and then that's when dcfs will be called on you as Mm -hmm. if like you're not attending doctor's appointments for these babies so maybe they know that this baby like is going to be is like being more monitored and so they know yeah possibly and maybe it's i mean could it have been somewhat of a financial thing where Feeding a baby is a little bit less expensive than feeding a 29-year-old. Could be. Yeah. I don't know. Well, many of the children also have cognitive impairment Mm -hmm. because, like we said, although this was listed as a... Their home was listed as, like, a homeschooling center or whatever, um, they were not being educated. When the police came... um, the girl who called 911, the 17-year-old, she did not know what the word medication meant when they asked her, probably like, are you on medications or blah, blah, blah. Right. She didn't even know what that word was. She didn't know what medicine was. A lot of the kids did not know who the police were. So when the police came, they were like, who are you? What do you do? They didn't have any concept of the police or anything. So clearly they're not being told anything about the Mm -hmm. outside world they're very very sheltered um so honestly being saved is very good but it would be really scary for them finding out all these things they had no idea existed before and when you grow up in that you almost think it's normal yeah and we'll see we'll see that later that they totally thought it was totally normal and everything they had uh severe malnourishment obviously like uh they were fed once a day and this is their only food that they were ever fed um they either would have a bologna sandwich or a peanut butter sandwich oh and that is I see. where that comes in i see That's so bad. i mean that is i mean not 
nutritional, really, especially if that's the only thing in your diet for decades. That is incredibly disgusting to me. Like, yeah. Um, The children were allowed one shower per year. (gasps) What? Yeah. They were not bathed. Ew. Yeah. Like, okay, I mean, I don't mean to gasp and act like that crosses the line, but it's it's even just for the parents' own comfort because you don't want to be around right. that stench and everything. I mean, like they're obviously what they're doing is horrible and they're sick people. Mm-hmm. But like they're making their life worse because they're not allowing their kids to bathe. Right. That's. I don't know. I guess they just couldn't be bothered to take the time to bathe their children i don't know or allow them to whatever right yeah it's um but it's so weird that they would go from like military you know orderly right having the kids you know whatever march whatever they would do to then like having them just basically just lay there lay there yeah and a lot of the kids said like once they hit that breaking point of like just not of extreme neglect not Mm -hmm. just being strict that they were really only allowed to just like lay in their beds they weren't allowed to do anything um some of them were found like with obvious um evidence of physical abuse like beatings bruises strangulation marks like around their necks and stuff like that um and then there was also like severe psychological torture on -hmm. the children um, one of the girls said when she was nine years old, it was the oldest daughter, um, she was caught sneaking food from the pantry. So they had a cat at the time and Louise put the cat outside and made her watch as the dogs ate the cat. <gasps> oh my God. That would be extremely emotionally scarring. That would be, that's just horrible. That's that is so animal up. abuse. That is child abuse to make her watch that. It is nasty. It's clearly psychologically damaging because this woman's 29 years old and she's been tortured her whole life, basically. Mm-hmm. And then that's what she, she pulls from it. It's like, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that she was talked to quite a bit, so they probably have a lot of stories from her. But, mm-hmm. I mean, when you're... It's almost like there's certain things you block out. Yeah. Like, I'm surprised that she can even, like, recall something that happened when she was nine yeah and that she can say i was nine like usually when i'm thinking of something i was like oh i might have been like seven or eight i don't know like she probably just knows the day and like everything you know Mm -hmm. yeah they were the kids were forbidden from exercising because they didn't want the kids to be healthy enough to try and fight back or escape so if they were caught like doing whatever a sit-up or whatever um they would be punished and probably eventually a lot of them couldn't even exercise probably because they were so So weak weak yeah Yeah. they were forbidden from even socializing with each other which is crazy they they're literally their only company their only friend entertainment whatever and they would be punished if they talked too much to each other or that yeah i'm sure they still did yeah i'm sure they did but David and Louise tried to prevent it, you know? That's ridiculous. Yeah. And then another form of torture was through sound. Um, They never changed the batteries in the smoke detector. So there was constantly this loud beep that would just drive you mad. And and it is a form of torture because it keeps them awake a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. I imagine it'd be hard to sleep. And that would just like, it would literally drive you crazy. How the heck did the parents not lose their minds doing all this? Because they're in their, they're torturing themselves as well yeah. by doing that. I don't know how they could live with it. Honestly, I don't. And it does confuse me because, like, a lot of times when you hear about abuse, it's like, um, where one parent is abusive. You know, I. It's crazy that both yeah. of them are just equally as messed up to where they're both thinking that this is completely okay they would both agree to it yeah it's so weird the david and louise themselves would get like takeout food 
Um, so they would eat fine. And then sometimes to torture the kids as well, like mentally, they would set out the food and just leave it there on the table, kind of like testing the kids. And if they were like caught trying to get the food, they would be punished. Like they would just literally leave it there as a temptation. Um, and then they'd be beaten or whatever if they tried to eat. sick. Yeah. It's, it's so cruel. I just don't understand how and to just you know the kid would probably unless they're too afraid try and get the food like you would that means you enjoy this temptation like putting it out there for them like that's and this has happened this is so recent that there's probably not like a lot of psychological evaluation on the two of them yeah like i want to know what the heck was going through their minds why they were doing all this to them yeah what 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 is the purpose the cause like they didn't start this way when they first started having children like it's so i don't know um so originally david and louise pleaded not guilty to a combined 75 criminal charges um I don't know what that thought process is there. There's only you and the home. You've been isolated for years. Who else could it have been? Why would you bother pleading not guilty? Right. But original, or not originally, eventually they took a deal to avoid having a trial. David and Louise pleaded guilty to 14 felony charges on February 22nd, 2019, Um, The charges include one count of torture, four counts of false imprisonment, six counts of cruelty to adult dependents, and three counts of child cruelty. So, I don't, I don't know what goes into deciding what the charges are going Mm -hmm. to be, uh, but, okay. It's probably, like, they just kind of were like, okay, we walked into the house with little to no investigation, this is what we saw, so... Yeah, slap it on there. You're you're still gonna be gone away for life, right? Or what they get? Um, they're both sentenced to. I, okay, so it said twenty five years to life in prison, and then later it said they're serving life sentences. So I guess, it, I guess it's life sentencing. I don't fully understand that because yeah, then like, what about parole? Because I know that sometimes sometimes people get like ten life sentences. Yeah, you know, I don't really understand the full. I don't how that. Really I don't works. get what like twenty five to life means. Does that mean at twenty five years they parole. yeah they are eligible or they need it like they have another sentencing and decide like are we gonna put you in life after twenty five years? I don't really know what that means, but yeah, other articles said they were serving a life sentence too. So I assume they're in for life, but. I mean, I would kind of hope so, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So even though they did not go to trial, their children were allowed to read victim impact statements and say what they wanted to. So I wrote down a couple of them. A lot of their names were not released to the press. Um, So one of the couple's daughters, who is just called Jane Doe number four, she said in the courtroom... Or her parents had taken my whole life away from me, but now I am taking it back. She is now in college, lives independently with some friends. So good for her. Yeah. Um, She also said, I believe everything happens for a reason. I fought to become the person I am. I saw my dad change my mom. So side note, that is something interesting that she has said. What does that mean? Like, there's no elaboration on that at all. Uh, But she continues and says, They almost changed me, but I realized what was happening, and I immediately did what I could to not become like them. I am a fighter, I am strong, and I am shooting through my life like a rocket. So Mm. I I am good for her. Yeah. Good for her. However, there are a couple of the children who... So I'm going to read like three more on these three children all have a very kind of a different view. So Mm -hmm. one of the boys' names is Joshua, 
they all so not all of their the adult children kind of had their names released but the younger kids know but they were they all have j names okay which is interesting um so one of the boys joshua says he is now studying software engineering in college he recently learned how um to ride a bike which i think that's what his dad did software no his dad was computer engineering anyway um he said he still has nightmares but has forgiven his parents and he says i cannot describe in words what we went through growing up sometimes i still have nightmares of things that have happened such as my siblings being chained up or beaten but that is in the past and this is now i love my parents and have forgiven them for a lot of the things they did to us so so were some of them just like not tortured or like how did he have enough of an education both of them to go to school I don't know. I think they they're getting a lot of help and these are all the adult children obviously if they're in college now. Yeah. So I think they may have had education like more than the younger kids because mm-hmm. they were alive longer before the isolation period of their lives, you mm-hmm. know? So I'm not sure. I know they are getting a lot of help with education, so yeah. Yeah. But he expressed forgiving his parents and that he said i love my parents and another daughter jessica she's also in college right now Mm -hmm. she has an apartment and she says she can transport herself independently which was like a big deal for her but she also said i love my parents both so very much although it may not have been the best way of raising us i'm glad they did because it made me the person i am today i just want to thank them for teaching me about god and faith so that's an interesting, I find an interesting, what is, does she mean they literally taught her about God and religion? Like, were they religious in their home? Or is she saying, like, I came to faith through what they put me through? I'm not yeah. sure. And I find it interesting that these kids are, they're saying, I mean, I'm glad. I don't want anyone to hold on to hate right. or anything. Like, that's I'm glad true. they're able to forgive their parents. But yeah. I personally think they're just like, it's very lenient in their statements a little bit, in my opinion. Um, Another, I mean, I guess like, it's hard to have hatred towards like, the only thing you've really known your whole life. And like, it's hard to like, know that what they were doing was wrong. Yeah. Another of the adult daughters, her name is Joy. She also, she also expressed not feeling any hate toward her parents and even asked the judge to lift the restraining order so that they could go visit their parents um so i think it's a lot of the the older kids either have this extreme maturity that they're able to forgive and Mm -hmm. move on or they're just so used to it or maybe it's both you know um and one of their attorneys the attorney who helped all the kids through this said mm-hmm. to the press that th- the way they grew up was totally totally normal to them so they just like grew up knowing that this is their life mm-hmm. and these statements were read like in 2018 when they were first rescued and everything too so it would be the situation is still fresh in their minds you know so yeah yeah, I wonder, yeah, that's the thing, is I wonder now if if they would say that, you know, three years later, if anything's changed, if they have a different feeling towards their parents, or... Yeah. Um, so I do have a 2020 update on the mm-hmm. kids, too, that People Magazine wrote, and they interviewed them. Um, a family friend and their attorney, the kid's attorney, says they are recovering still. Obviously, that would obviously take a lot of time and they're learning a new normal and he says that a lot of them have are still processing what happened to them and he kind of um made it seem like they're kind of realizing what their life was like and that it wasn't normal so they're learning a lot of new things now a couple like years later so i wonder i mean i'm sure they would still stick to like i've forgiven my parents but i wonder if they think how differently they think about it now now that they've learned new things like what medicine is and stuff like that right um some of the kids he says they can't even look at peanut butter or bologna without like throwing up 
So they, I would imagine, not eat that, like, yeah. ever again. Have a complete aversion to it. Yeah. Um, six of the younger, or the six younger siblings have all been adopted into happy families. So they're doing all right. And the older siblings who are, some of them are living alone or with friends, um, but the couple of them who are not living independently live in group homes getting counseling therapy and psychological help so they're all doing okay um one of the oldest siblings said that they are um treating each day like a gift and Mm -hmm. helping to move on so even though they're all living uh, the younger kids are all adopted into other families and stuff. They do say the 13 of them still meet regularly and they want to always be a part of each other's lives. Good. Good. And some of them have changed their names because they want to like just put that name out of oh, their I life know. and behind them. So obviously it's a lot of recovering. Um, they also said they have been extremely careful because a lot of them have conditions. So the coronavirus... They, oh. um, they just learned about the outside world and that some of them are oh struggling with having to quarantine again, yeah. um, but that they're doing okay because they're able to do that like within a healthy home or a group right. home. So right. that's how they're doing now. And I hope they continue to, you know, live yeah. life and right. recover. Yeah. I hope the best for every single one of them. And it sounds like they're all acclimating pretty good. And yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm interested to see. I'm sure there's going to be more coming out just as far as, like, different evaluations or more stories um, of accounts of what happened. Yeah. So I'm interested to see at some point if we do end up finding out more. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely really interesting. I'm sure, like, kind of with true crime stuff, they kind of do, like, anniversary interviews so at some point i feel like they'd be like oh you've been out for like 10 years or whatever right what how do you feel now so i'm interested definitely to see what they continue to do and yeah yeah i agree all right well that was really that was it's such a sad sad story yeah and everyone lived exactly everyone lived and they're moving on from this so I'm excited to see kind of where their lives take them. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, I'm Casey. And I'm Emily. And you just heard A Sprinkle of Sugar, A Dash of Murder.